Awesome. Lord, thank you so much for this morning, uh, for this time for the saints, and the joy and privilege it is of being able to come together as a community, that you're allowing this opportunity through technology to be able to worship together, to be able to seek your face together as a body of believers. And Lord, I'm excited about this time. I'm excited about this morning. And I pray that you would charge and renew and energize the saints um, as they're in their homes or wherever they might be listening this morning. I just pray that you would be their joy, their encouragement, their hope, and that the things that we have the opportunity to go through this morning um, would take root in their hearts, in their minds, in their spiritual lives, God. And, and uh, it would be something that we would be opening ourselves up and saying, Lord, whatever it is that you want to say to us, whatever it is you want us to do, however it is you want us to live, God, we submit to you. We surrender our own will, and we choose to obey. And Lord, I pray that would be the posture of our saints and that you would encourage and refresh us in this time today, that you would teach us and lead us in this time today, and our spirits would be drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week, we're starting a new series, uh, an important series, a series, honestly, that we had hoped we would be doing in person, but uh, obviously we're not. We're going to have to make do virtually instead. Uh, we titled this series, Just Go, and the heart of this series is to walk through evangelism and how to train our church in effective evangelism. Stop. Get your hand away from that remote. I know that your tendency is this, when you think of evangelism, it's like, whoa, whoa wait, this is not what I go through. Tune to another channel. And I'm just going to ask, give me a few moments to share with you my heart in why we're going through this series now. Because I'm sure there are a number of you that after sharing that our goal with this series is to teach about evangelism and to train you in evangelism, your first response is like, yeah, that's not the mode I'm in right now. Frank, if you want to go through this in the fall, I'm totally okay with that. When things are more back to normal, that's when it makes sense. But honestly, right now, I have no inclination at all to leave my house, to go out and meet somebody and tell them about Jesus. And certainly, they're not in a place where they want to talk to me about that. Everything is about social distancing right now, and it just doesn't seem like the right time to go through this. So why are we talking about evangelism at all? And so I'm going to ask that you give me a few minutes to just go ahead and walk through why we believe this makes sense now. You know, um, again, I shared initially our goal was to teach this series when we were all back together. That not being the case, there was a challenge in just meditating on this series. Why now? And the first answer that was tempting to go with is, well, it's for the church, right? That as Awaken, as a church, we're committed to discipleship, and we're committed to seeing God grow us in faith and, by default, grow us numerically as well. And so maybe that makes sense, that during this time when a number of other churches are in lockdown, that we are choosing to get back together and to be salt and light to the world. As in, this in, this, uh, in this pandemic, there's an opportunity that we don't want to miss. Plus, you know, we have a strong value as a church that we're focused on multiplication, that we're focused on discipleship. We want you, our saints, our church, to be committed to the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all 
nations, and we want to train and equip you to do that. And I'm like, yes, that is all true, but I don't want, we're not going to make this series about the church. Then I thought, well, I think maybe, maybe this series should be about you, right? And maybe the challenge is that understanding that you have just spent the past three months focused a bit more on yourselves than you have been in, a, in, a, in quite a while. And that outside of being a responsible citizen and wearing masks when you go shopping or to the grocery store, you haven't really thought about your responsibility to other people. And so maybe this series should be about you and to have you reimagine what it looks like to be others-oriented again, and for us as a church to retrain you in what it looks like to be a laborer in the harvest, because the harvest remains plentiful, and the laborers are still few. And yeah, I thought that was going to be a good reason, but then I meditated on it, I'm like, you know, I realize you are not the problem. And yes, I do think that if we're all honest with each other, we could all stand to get a little kick in the pants and to be more thoughtful about other people and how to reach and impact other people's lives, how to be a blessing to them, how to be salt and light to them. But you are not the problem. So then I thought, you know, maybe the reason why we should be talking about evangelism is to focus on them. When I say them, I mean all those people out there who don't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus and are finding how empty their lives are without him. And so maybe that makes sense, right, that we're dealing with a growing population of people who are feeling lonely, who are feeling disconnected, who are feeling a lack of purpose and a lack of vision. And they've always felt this way, except before they covered it up with work and staying busy at work or covered it up with school or covered it up with activities and friendships or drinking or whatever it might be. And now having all of those things stripped away are really feeling the weight of their loneliness, lack of purpose, and lack of vision. And it is into this, um, into this context that we want to share Christ because it's been now exposed, right? The hollowness of life without the life-giving presence of Jesus. And so how about, as a church, we think about evangelism, not for the church, not for us, but for them, to minister in this window of opportunity that we have to care for those who are feeling lost and disconnected before they start covering up their need again with work and school and activities and drinking or whatever else they might fill it up with. And that's important, isn't it? But then I realized them. Them just sounds so vague. And how can this series have meaning to us unless we have a them in our lives? And that's when I realized that was it. The gospel was never designed to solve just a part of our problems or our challenges or part of life's uh, difficulties. Jesus is the answer, right? The gospel is a solution to all of them. Jesus is the answer. He is the solution. And that is the gift that God has given us through Christ. That is the reason for Jesus living, teaching, dying on the cross for our sins and the resurrection. To show that God has victory over death. You, me, them, the church, all of it, right? God cares about all of it, all of us. And the gospel is a universal healing balm. The universal answer, the universal solution. And 
that is why we should be teaching this series. How is that for a motivation to walk through this series together? Simple, right? I know the questions next is going to be, well, how are we going to do that? That seems like a really big task. And, um, you know, for the past couple of weeks, I've been wrestling a lot with, um, with the news and how to respond to the tragic killing of George Floyd, uh, how to respond to Black Lives Matter, and how to pastor a church that isn't as diverse as I would personally like it to be, uh, pastoring a church that's not as involved in the community as I think we could be and maybe even should be, and, uh, and realizing that there aren't any real easy answers because it can be so tempting to be reactionary and to throw ourselves into activity without having a structure in place that um, allows for any real change, right? That putting on the veneer of activity and, or activism and not having anything substantial behind it. And, uh, and that was something that I wanted to avoid, right? The veneer of activity, the veneer of activism without anything substantial to underlie it. At the same time, I don't want to, um, as one of the pastors of this church, brush it all under the rug either and say, well, this will pass. It doesn't really affect us. We're the church. We kind of do our own thing. And to imagine that this should have no impact on who we are as the body of believers, that would be ridiculous as well. And so um, I wanted you to know that I, I share that just to let you know that that has been something not only been wrestling with and having a number of different conversations that not only have been but are continuing to take place, uh, not only in our church but regionally and nationally about what this all means. And it is, there are no easy answers to this. It's not like there's a clear cut, this is what you should do, and bam, everything. Everything has, has it, it is complex, uh, and yet it's meaningful, and it is something that our church moving forward needs to and will continue to have as part of our uh, defining what it means to be a church in this context. That being said, I, um, I want to share this morning with you all an observation. And I want to be clear, it's just a single observation amongst the many other observations and conversations that we're going to need to have, right? Just one, relevant for this morning and the thing I want to share with you all today, right? One observation amongst the many that we're going to have moving forward. So I don't want that taken out of context, but I did want to share that observation with you all today. And here it is. We are becoming a society increasingly afraid to offend. We are becoming a society increasingly afraid to offend. Personally, I am much more afraid of speaking out today than I've ever been. And uh, part of that is social media, uh, which is ironic because I think we're out on social media more than we've ever been before. Part of that is social media and not knowing who might hear what I'm saying um, and not giving me the benefit of the doubt or believing the best. Part of it is knowing how easy it is today to just have my uh, words taken out of context or, and in being taken out of context, to have the meaning behind those words misconstrued or misinterpreted. And, uh, and so maybe, maybe another way of saying it, right, uh, maybe even practically for me, is there's just a lot less room today to work out stupidity, right? And, and if we're to be perfectly honest, God knows we've all said something stupid at the wrong time without something we didn't really mean but came out anyway. It happens. 
And yet today we live in a context where we're being held accountable to that stupidity in ways that we've never been held accountable before. And so today what that means is it's possible to have one sentence or even one word that you say wrongly in the wrong setting, in the wrong context, ruin your reputation and thereby possibly ruining your life, right? And that's insane. That's insane to have that standard um, being lived out today where one sentence I say in any one moment in time, one moment of stupidity then becomes a part of defining who I am forever. That just, that's crazy. And as much as I understand the reality of us being all being much more exposed, what is not happening is, or what is not happening is there's not this corresponding sense of grace given to moments of stupidity. So without that, it's a very harsh environment to be in, right? And it should, rightfully so, cause us to be more thoughtful in all that we say or do. But the downside of it is also creating a lot more fear and a lot more of when I do say something, it's going to be something along the lines of what everyone else is saying, and that doesn't necessarily um, bless our diverse society. Here's why I'm sharing that observation, and here's why it's going to be important to our conversation today and to our Just Say series. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive. And I'll even add, by design. The gospel is offensive. There's no two ways about it. And if you do not understand why that is true, it probably explains why you're not very effective in evangelism and or why you're not drawn to evangelism, why evangelism doesn't have a lot of appeal for you is because you don't understand this concept. The gospel is offensive. So let me go ahead and, uh, and share what the gospel is first before we dive in any further. Um, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, these words are shared by the Apostle Paul. He says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. That's it. That is the gospel shared as succinctly as anywhere you'll find in the scriptures or out. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. That's it. Simple gospel. And for those who have put our faith in Jesus, we have been saved from the eternal and lasting consequences of our sin and been brought into a relationship with God to live in the promise and the hope of living with him forever. That's the good news, right? That if we put our trust in Jesus, we will not only have our sins, the cost, the consequences of our sins paid for, but that we'll spend eternity with Christ. And sh that, is the, that is the gospel, and sharing that good news with others is evangelism. Believe and be saved. So what is it about the good news then that's so offensive? This idea, this message of believe and be saved. 
And if you don't see it, again, it's probably because we've been Christians for too long. There's an essential truth that is at the heart of the gospel message that the world repeatedly tells us can't be true. And that conflict is at the heart of why the gospel is an offensive message to those who don't believe. What is that truth? You are not good enough. You are not good enough. Our culture preaches a message, you can call it its own gospel, uh, if you will, and that gospel that the world teaches is that you can do anything, right? Anything you set your mind to, anything you're courageous enough, daring enough, determined enough to accomplish, you can and you will. Anything you desire is within your grasp. And in a number of areas in life, maybe that's true, right? If you're brave enough, if you're determined enough, then God willing, maybe you can accomplish and have what you want. But it's an American story, right? It's the American story and a cultural truth that has been ingrained into us since we were kids. Our teachers taught us this, right? If you work hard enough, you can get that A. If you're determined enough, you can accomplish and you can accomplish your goals. You can be anything you want to be. It is a message that we are taught from an early age and pervades our lives. The problem is that cultural truth is not a biblical one. In fact, for those of us who read the Bible carefully, what you will find is the scriptures don't teach that you're good enough. The Bible doesn't teach us that if you work hard enough, if you try hard, if you put enough effort, if you're determined enough, then you can accomplish anything you want. As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible carefully, oftentimes the Bible teaches the exact opposite, doesn't it? The message of the gospel is that you're not good enough, and nothing you ever do will make you good enough to earn God's approval, to earn God's acceptance, to earn you salvation. In fact, Jesus declares this himself uh, in the Gospel of John. This is Jesus' own words. And he says, uh, John 15, verses 4 and 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. That's, that's it. That's as clear as we can state it. Jesus' own words, it's a, you know, it's a direct quote from Jesus himself. And what he says is, without Jesus, you can do nothing. You can accomplish nothing of any lasting or eternal value. That is the offense. That is the truth that lies at the heart of the hideous Going along with that truth, there's another one that the world teaches that comes alongside it that makes this very murky and difficult as well. Um, and it's this idea that the world teaches um, to all of us, and we've learned this, uh, again, through our childhood, that you don't put people down. That's something else that's being reinforced in our current cultural context, right? You don't pe put people down. What do we call people who put others down? We call them, at best, bullies, at worst, oppressors. And so what happens then when we understand God and understand the gospel and we imagine that the message of the gospel is that you, we, them, none of us are good enough. 
we're saying then, in a sense, that God is the one who is putting us down. God then becomes, at best, a bully, at worst, an oppressor. And if that's the case, inflexible, intolerant, unworthy of our worship, and if that's how you imagine God, then how can it be any surprise that those who aren't in a relationship with God might view him in a real negative light? And so if I'm a non-Christian, and this is what I've been taught my entire life, is that I can do anything, and anyone who tells me I can't is a bully and an oppressor, then how do you imagine I'm going to see God? And then how do you think I'm going to feel when you come at me with your so-called good news? I'm going to react pretty strongly and painfully, am I? So I want to be clear before we talk about the implications of this. The offense of the gospel is not that the gospel tells us that we're all sinners. Everyone, most rational people can accept that idea right we wouldn't maybe a lot of non-christians wouldn't say it that way but we can all accept that yeah i'm not perfect yes i've made mistakes yes if those are god's laws don't kill don't steal yes i've broken them right Uh, don't covet uh yes most rational people can accept that i'm not perfect i've done wrong so if you call that sinning then yes i am a sinner the bible calling us sinners is not what makes the gospel offensive What makes the gospel offensive is it says that our good, our best effort is not good enough, and it never will be. That salvation comes from God alone, and that cannot be accomplished through our own best efforts, through our own goodness. That is the offense of the hideous gospel. And I know. As you guys are processing this, some of you, maybe many of you are thinking, yeah, you know, that sounds true. I've never thought about it that way before. And now it makes sense because when I used to engage in evangelism, when I would go and share the gospel with someone, they always seemed to have this emotional reaction that I just felt like, gosh, I don't know where that's coming from. Maybe now you do. And you can imagine now why for many people when they're asked what their problem with God is, they'll tell you it's hell, right? The idea that my good dad or my wonderful grandmother is going to hell simply because they didn't believe in Jesus, really? If that's what you Christians believe, then yes, I want to have nothing to do with you. Maybe now you can understand why that reaction is so strong and visceral because it's a reaction to their understanding of the gospel, a right understanding of the gospel, by the way. That is the offense of the hideous gospel. And so when we come to someone like that and we're like, well, what is the reason why my good dad or my amazing grandmother is going to hell? Is it simply because they didn't put their trust in Jesus, but they were good people? And we come along as Christians and say, yeah, they might have been good, but they weren't good enough. Seriously? Keep on the offense, why don't you? But to your credit, I want to say this, too, that I believe this is true of most of you. Even though most of you probably wouldn't have been able to put this idea into words before, I will bet that most of you intuitively understand this idea, that the gospel is offensive somehow. You might not have known why. You might not have put the words to it that way, but you've known it intuitively, right? Which explains why you've never had a problem uh, sharing a good deal with a friend at, uh, at Publix, right, or at a grocery store sharing some coupons, but you would be terrified about sharing the good news with them. 
Uh, it would also explain why for you, you have no problem at all inviting a friend to a game night or a ball game, uh, but would be terrified to invite them to church, right? There's something intuitively that you understood that if I invite them to church, if I share the good news with them, there's going to be offense taken somehow. You wouldn't have said it that way, but you intuitively knew it. And so what you chose instead is to stay quiet. I don't want to make any waves. I'm just going to keep the good news to myself, which is not what God commands us to do, by the way. And if you think about it, the decision you're making is, I would rather offend God than offend them. And I don't know where we got it in our minds that it would be better to offend God than offend people. But that is dangerous. And that right there is the problem of evangelism, right? Evangelism puts us in that position where we either say, I'm going to do it and risk offending a neighbor or someone I care about, or I don't do it and thereby offend or disobey God. That's the dilemma evangelism puts us in and why evangelism is such an uncomfortable conversation to have and an uncomfortable teaching to sit under in church. And I just want to say to you this morning, we get it. And this is the problem that we're going to spend the next five weeks resolving. Uh, in a way, and I'm going to tell you this, here's also the commitment we're going to make to you. Not only are we going to spend the next five weeks resolving that problem, I'm going to say to you that by the end of these five weeks, you're going to say, you know what, I'm okay with evangelism. Some of you might even be excited. Let's not go too far. Maybe that's a bit crazy. But our goal, our ambition is at the end of these five weeks, you're going to look back and you're going to say, okay, if that's what evangelism means, and this is what it means that I need to be engaged in to be involved in evangelism, I'm okay with that. That is our goal. And we believe by the grace of God, you're going to get there in five weeks if you stay tuned with us over the course of five, over the course of the next, over the course of the series, right? And if you don't believe that, it means you don't believe me. That's fine. That's okay. Then next week, we'll just call Nathan and Dana Edwards and have them come up here and tell you that that's true. So that'll be a bit more convincing. In a few moments, we're going to wrap up our time. Uh, kids, if you have not yet finished up your project, finish it now because I want to see them. And I know sometimes when they get in late, we don't get the opportunity to see them. So parents, go ahead and take a picture and send it in to awakenqna at gmail.com. Don't forget to slip a piece of paper there to let us know who that project belongs to, who created it, so we can give proper credit to them. And uh, parents and kids, as you're going to, as you're doing that, I want to close out with um, our time just having you meditate on, on just one more idea, if that's okay. Just one more thing. The, uh, the mistake I don't want us to make, uh, either as, as individual Christians or as a church, the mistake that I don't want us to make is what I shared earlier, the dilemma of evangelism. I don't want us to make the mistake of thinking that our church is a, or our choice is a binary choice, right? And what I mean by that is either we obey God and awkwardly share the gospel, or we disobey, keep the peace, and don't offend. That is a false choice. But it's probably the reason why you've avoided evangelism and don't believe you'd ever enjoy evangelism, because that's what you think your two choices are. And I just want to say that's not true. That binary choice would be like um, 
like as an analogy to see a drowning man and to imagine that my only two choices if I see a drowning man is to jump in and rescue him and potentially drown myself or stand back and watch that man drown. That is a false choice. There are many other options, and not only are there many other options, many of those options are better, but maybe counterintuitive. So some of the better options is, well, maybe find a branch and reach it out that you could possibly pull them in. Throw in a life preserver is another option. Calling for help is another option. Do you understand what I'm saying? The choice is not a binary one. And another option is you stay close to them but out of reach and wait until they get tired. And then you go in and save them. Do you know what's really interesting about that solution? That is counterintuitive. For us to, and yet this is what we're taught. For those of us who have lifeguard training, I've had lifeguard training. For those of you who have been taught this, is if you see someone drowning, never go try and save them whilst they're still fighting and flailing. You wait, out of reach, but close by, until they surrender, until they give up. Then you go in and pull them out. That is counterintuitive, isn't it? None of us would think, oh, wait, the best way to care for a drowning man is just to wait until they give up and really start drowning before I go save them. But that is exactly what the experts tell us we're supposed to do. In the same way, I just want to say our choice when we look at evangelism is broader than the binary one I just presented to you a moment ago. To obey God and awkwardly share the gospel and risk offending someone or to stay quiet and do nothing, disobey God and not offend, right? Those are not, that is not uh, the proper context to see evangelism in. There are many more choices. And I want to remind you that the church has always known this. It's why we don't do bus evangelism, bus ministry anymore, right? It's the reason why crusades aren't as common as they used to be, because those were effective forms of evangelism once, but not necessarily today. Tombstones, stained glass windows, and sharing the gospel that way. That was another method of, of sharing. Knocking on doors and tracts and cold turkey evangelism. It's still used today. Open air preaching, still used today, but might not be the most effective. The churches always understand that the form of evangelism changes over time. And that's all we're saying as well, that the charge of evangelism remains the same, though the form may shift. And we want to, as a church, train our saints in a way of doing evangelism that makes sense and that we're going to be good with and yet still is effective. One last thing before we get to our, our kids, and, and I invite some volunteers to come out and help me. Um, Jesus pulled it off, by the way, just to let you know. Jesus made it work. Jesus found a way to share the good news without offending the lost, which is the, the point. If you imagine it, if you understand it, that Jesus was not crucified by the non-Christians. He wasn't crucified by the non-believers. He wasn't crucified by the sinners. He was crucified, uh, and the ones that Jesus crucified and offended were the believers, quote-unquote, right? But the, it was uh, Jesus was able to share the gospel, share the good news without sabotaging relationships. And if our charge as Christians is to follow the example of Jesus, I think that's kind of reassuring that Jesus pulled it off and our charge is to find a way to be a relationship. Amen? And over the course of the next five weeks, I'm excited about us navigating a path where not only is that possible, but it's something that we are able to easily implement in our lives. Lord, thank you so much.
for this time, uh, for the beautiful pictures and projects that uh, our awakened kids were able to send in, and to realize, God, how simple it is. And Lord, there's a reason why you tell us that uh, as Christians, as faithful Christians, we should aspire to be like children, uh, that there's an innocence and a, a genuine passion and desire that comes from uh, the innocence of, of children that we really need to learn from and be reminded of. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the opportunity that we're going to get to spend over the course of the next month talking about evangelism, not just talking about evangelism, not just training in evangelism, but being excited about it, Lord, to realize that over the course of the series, not only are you going to be winning activity, but we're winning hearts. And, uh, and God, we're trusting in your spirit to transform our hearts and our minds and to conform us more and more and make us more like you. And uh, that's, that's all we want. We want to follow your example, Christ. And we pray that you give us the ability to do that. We love you so much. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. And I pray that you would help us as your kids to be more grace-filled, to be more others-oriented, and to not simply have our focus or our eyes set on ourselves, but to see this as an opportunity to care for and minister to those that you're bringing into our lives. And we trust that you help us to do that well and passionately and excitedly, Lord God, with wisdom and discernment. In Jesus' name.